Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Uh, we have a mixed martini to lead off today, which is certainly the biggest uh, political and economic, geopolitical news of the day. And then two others that uh, I would classify as crazy, but uh, they might have a bad tinge to them, too. Jim, let's start with the news. Uh, it broke around 8, 9 o'clock this morning. We had a suspicion this was happening. Secretary of State Blinken said that the United States and other countries had been talking about this. Uh, but Joe Biden making it official late this morning in a public statement that the U.S. is no longer importing Russian energy. Today I'm announcing the United States is targeting the main artery of Russia's economy. We're banning all imports of Russian oil and gas and energy. That means Russian oil will no longer be acceptable at U.S. ports and the American people will deal another powerful blow to Putin's war machine. This is a move that has strong bipartisan support in the Congress and I believe in the country. Americans have rallied support, have rallied to support their Ukrainian people and made it clear we will not be part of subsidizing Putin's war. So like we said, Jim, this one's mixed. The good news is, is that this could help to further cripple uh, Russia's war machine. Energy is the driver of the Russian economy. And if a number of other countries join us, that could make a pretty big dent in the money that they're able to bring in. Of course, their biggest customer by far is China, and China's not about to suspend anything when it comes to Russia anytime soon. Uh, and there's also a couple other aspects of this which are mixed. Uh, first of all, Biden, without directly saying it, is trying to make us believe that if you're unhappy with your gas prices, it's Putin's fault and it's the profiteering of oil companies that's at issue here. Here's, here's how he phrased it. To the oil and gas companies and to the finance firms that back them, we understand Putin's war against the people of Ukraine is causing prices to rise. We get that. That's self-evident. But, 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 it's no excuse to exercise excessive price increases or padding profits or any kind of effort to exploit this situation or, Amer or American uh, consumers. Exploit them. Russia's aggression is costing us all. And it's no time for profiteering or price gouging. So, Jim, a warning's good. I don't know any evidence that profiteering or gouging even exists, but he also uh, fails to mention that gas prices were 60% higher than when he first took office uh, before uh, these uh, Russia-Ukraine-related uh, price hikes took place. Uh, the price of oil per barrel went up on this news. It's about 126, 127 uh, per barrel right now. Uh, before this news, uh, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida highlighting another problem with this, and that's, as of yet, the administration is doing nothing uh, to jack up production of domestic energy. Here's how Rubio put it. I don't oppose it. I just don't understand why we're going to go to Saudi Arabia to beg for oil, ask a narco-terrorist to, uh, to, uh, for oil, and do an Iran deal with the largest state sponsor of terror in the world when we can produce more than enough oil to make up for whatever it is we buy from Russia. I just don't get it. The only explanation is that this re religious zealotry on this Green New Deal stuff makes that an impossibility. It's going to lead us to a ridiculous uh, policy decision. Bingo. Jim, a lot to unpack there. I'll say it for you. <laughs> Where do you start? <laughs> there is quite a bit to examine, uh, Greg, not just unpack. So I'm looking at AAA right now. And one year ago, Biden had been in office for about two months. 
And the price for a gallon of gas, regular nationwide, the average was 277. Now, I don't know how things are in your neck of the woods. My sense, I'd say around 250 is what I'm used to paying around here. Uh, or at least that was my idea of what was normal. Uh, ideally, it's a little lower, maybe it goes up a little higher. So already a year ago, I was like, huh, that's a little high. But a month ago, you know, the, the before the war in, in, in uh, Ukraine had begun, it was 345. Right? We had already seen increasing gas prices all throughout the fall, throughout the winter. And by the way, one of the things that made this a little surprising is that traditionally demand goes down a bit in the winter. Yes, there's an issue in which they got to change over from the summer fuel to the winter fuel and different standards like that. But basically, people go on big, long summer vacations in the summer for the holidays, all that kind of stuff. They drive around more. That's why prices traditionally go up in the summer. So like we're not even at the time of year, prices would naturally increase because of increased demand. A week ago, the national average was 361. Yesterday, it was 406. And at least according to AAA right now, the national current average for a gallon of regular gasoline, 417. God help you if you want premium or diesel. And oh yes, you know, over in California right now, it is $5.44 as the average Obviously, you can find gas stations with, with higher prices and you can find some of the lower prices. The Russia-Ukraine war is an exacerbation of an existing trend. In the end, it all comes down to supply and demand. Because remember, pandemic hit, nobody's leaving their houses, nobody's traveling anywhere, and all of a sudden gas prices drop like a stone. By the way, every, going back to the Bush years, um, you always see the administration saying, oh, we're going to have the you know, Department of Commerce investigate price gouging. And those reports always come back and say, nope, it was a reflection of supply and demand. Oh, by the way, it usually is a complex. Oftentimes you can trace back part of the problem to a problem at a refinery, limiting the supply of refined gasoline to various areas. Um, and oh, by the way, we have, I think yesterday I was trying to remember whether we built one or we built none. We, re, we do not build new refineries in this country. And the question of how your distance and your local taxes and things like that. And I believe, it was, you know, last year, in the middle of all this, California increased gas taxes as if, you know, you didn't, as if gas prices weren't high enough as is. That is one of the reasons California has the highest prices in the entire country. So you add it all up. It is a very dire state. Having said that, it makes no sense for us to be pouring vodka out uh, and pledging and, and kicking out Russian sopranos at the opera and stuff like that, but still be purchasing so much oil and natural gas from Russia. So on the one hand, good, this is yes, this is necessary. Secondly, like, again, it is just at the heart of the Biden mentality that we don't want to be the sellers of the, to the world because it pollutes as if people won't just find other ways to get natural gas and other ways to get oil. Will people transition to alternative fuels like solar and wind? Yes. But that's a generational effort. In the meantime, people are still going to want oil to get into their cars. And it is unbelievably tone deaf for the likes of Pete Buttigieg to run around telling Americans, well, if you don't like gas prices, just spend 40 grand or so on an electric car. <laughs> exactly. I love how they say, you know, uh, it, you know, it took a couple of years to build the Keystone Pipeline. That's not a solution to a problem that's happening right now. Yet they think we can transition to renewables overnight. <laughs> it's just an amazing yeah, you know. Thing. Yeah, if we'd done that a couple of years ago, we wouldn't be in that situation now. Oh my gosh, it was it was late Bush administration, early Obama administration that Keystone was first happening. Then Obama put it on ice, and then Trump brought it back, and then Biden put it down again. I mean, this thing could have been running for over a decade now if we had just not screwed around with politics. It's just insane. Greg, if I diet and exercise, it's going to take a while. <laughs> I won't see the benefits until down the road. I want something that'll help now. So I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to start. <laughs> That's a great analogy. That's exactly what I said a few months ago. How, why do I keep ending up in this situation? <laughs> Perfect. Deferred gratification. How does it work? 
Well, I know, Jim, that that is, uh, you know, assessing the political situation right now. But uh, anyone could forgive you for not wanting to get up and exercise because you get to spend all day uh, working in the comfort of the fantastic X chair. There you go, Greg. That's my excuse. That's <laughs> what I'm going to stick to. Um, from the first moment my too wide butt sat in my X chair, my body immediately said, ah, this is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. I never actually looked forward to sitting in my office until I got my X chair. Can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? My X chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My X chair can do that too. It's all in the Elemax massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for the X chair. And once you feel the customized support of the X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar or DVL, your back will never be happy in any other chair again. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. Those are all the reasons I love my X chair. Now I can't wait to be at work. And sometimes even if I'm not working, I'll just sit in my X chair just to get that feeling. Take my advice, try the X chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you'll never go back, I promise. Go to xchairmartini.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com. Or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort. And you can finance your purchase for as little as just $30 per month. XChairMartini.com All right, Jim, on to our official bad martini, or maybe it's crazy. Uh, yesterday, the National Football League announced that it was suspending Atlanta Falcons wide receiver Calvin Ridley for at least the 2022 season after they concluded he had been gambling on games in this past season, 2021. The NFL, this is the ESPN story, the NFL released a statement Monday announcing his suspension, saying Ridley gambled on games over a five-day stretch in November 2021 when he was on the non-football injury list to address his mental health. Ridley stepped away from football, saying he needed to get his personal life in order. But in a series of tweets on Monday after the suspension was announced, Ridley said he bet $1,500 total and that, quote, I don't have a gambling problem. He also tweeted that he couldn't even watch football at the time he made the bets. He added that he's just going to, quote, be more healthy when I come back and that, quote, I know I was wrong, but I'm getting one year, LOL. So, Jim, not exactly the level of contrition Roger Goodell was probably looking for there. Uh, Ridley is obviously way wrong for betting on the sport that he plays in, especially if he bet uh, on any Falcon games. But even if he didn't bet on Falcon games, that's uh, uh, probably frowned on by the league. Uh, you and I are old enough, of course, to remember the Pete Rose controversy. He's still waiting for reinstatement, uh, not eligible for the Hall of Fame at this point. There's been other examples over the years, uh, most famously in the NFL, Paul Horning and Alex Karras, two phenomenal uh, players back in the 1960s, uh, getting suspended for a year. So on the one hand, Ridley made a really dumb mistake uh, for doing this. And secondly, we've also seen over the past year or two, whenever the Supreme Court decision on on gaming came down, how instantaneously all these leagues uh, and all these ads popped up and how they're all embracing one another. And so the fact that this happened and probably happened beyond Calvin Ridley should surprise absolutely no one. I just finished uh, shortly before we started taping here, taping the editors for this week, and I pitched this idea. Rich did not accept it. He never seems to like my ideas, but he did say he's one of those folks who believes that Pete Rose should stay out of the Baseball Hall of Fame as a consequence for gambling on baseball. And I liked the idea that sports leagues had this bright red line, that, that this was the sort of thing in which you would get the 
career and and league sport effect you know the, the equivalent of the death penalty right this was the harshest penalty we can possibly come up with we will enforce if you ever god forbid start betting on baseball because even if you're not betting on games you're playing in um you know maybe you you know so and so is having a sore hamstring or something like that maybe you get it's the effect the, the equivalent of insider trading and of course it does realize the possibility of players betting on themselves and who knows maybe someday throwing games the black Sox scandal and things like that we've seen in professional sports so on the one hand i see the league had to come down on him like a ton of bricks i do wonder if a year's suspend like the, remember, you know, thinking back a few years, the idiotic, uh, uh, ludicrously low consequence for Ray Rice. Um, the fact that there are some guys in this league who have domestic violence charges and things like that, who have had less, you know, not had the one-year suspension, does make you wonder if the league has that. And I think that there, you, you, you point out a good point here, Greg, that it is very difficult for sports leagues to live in a world in which sports gambling is, is you know, encouraged. It is embraced. It is now a big part of the NFL pregame shows. It's a big part of sports radio. The sports world has now transformed itself to think in terms of lines and, uh, you know, who's going to cover what and how much are you betting and what's the spread, what's the over-under, all this kind of stuff, which has always been kind of like the bat, you know, a small section of the sports section of your newspaper, has now become really fully embraced to the mainstream sports coverage, whether it's ESPN, Fox Sports, anything like that. And I think it's just inevitable that, you know, when, when a culture so wholeheartedly embraces gambling on sports, that those involved in sports are going to feel tempted as well. I'm glad that, you know, these, these teams have these and the leagues have these rules, but the temptation is always going to be there. If it's not a player, it'll be a coach, it'll be a trainer, it'll be an equipment manager. It will be somebody within the realm of professional sports who believes that it is okay to bet on what, you know, on contests that they have a little more familiarity about. Uh, that their positions give them a kind of a privileged insight into how these teams are working and stuff like that. It's a very bad step. I feel bad for Ridley, and I don't think he recognized the consequences that would be so dire. I understand the amount of the bet was like $1,500 or something. Um, he insists he doesn't have a gambling problem. Fine. Okay. He's, he's got a judgment problem. And I kind of wish, you know, I, I, I do wish there was a way to bring this guy back into the light and back on a better path. Because the idea of sending this guy away, you know, considering his other problems and other mental health issues, I don't know if spending a year away from the game of football is going to be, you know, uh, necessarily a great thing for him in the long run. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. But yeah, the the league's rush to embrace this. I mean, Drew Brees, as soon as he retired, started doing ads on Sunday Night Football and elsewhere for whatever sports book that he was that he was working with and it's just it's just absolutely everywhere you've got the Caesars ad running through every NFL game I mean it's just it's just absolutely ubiquitous and so I have never placed a bet on a sporting event I don't know if you have but uh as Bears and Jets fans we probably shouldn't um but uh no we bet against our teams and then it's like you know it's it's hedging your bets you're gonna win one way or another yeah I don't know how much sports center you watch but uh Scott Van Pelt has this segment called Bad Beats which is usually about obviously whether a team covers or or the over under, and it's just basically this series of I cannot believe that this team they had it locked up. There was no way they were going to get to the over, or they were way ahead. There's no way that the other team could cover, and somehow it finds a way to happen. It's the best possible segment to discourage you from gambling I've ever yeah. seen because there's no such thing as a sure thing. Let's say, Greg, I've written about this a few times, and I am one of those. I, I probably feel you know. I haven't done the last few years, but fill out a bracket for NCAA uh, tournament time or something like that. But sure. By and large, I don't, and I don't 
you know, I, I, there are a lot of people I know who really enjoy gambling. And I don't think they are bad people. I don't think they are degenerate gamblers. I don't think they're necessarily immoral. But I still don't think that it's a healthy trend for society. Um, probably, you know, college years, we went to Atlantic, we went to watch a, a basketball game up in Philadelphia. And some of the other guys really wanted to go to Atlantic City. I did not want to go to Atlantic City, but they were my rides. So I was going to Atlantic City with them for the evening. And I remember the pawn shops outside the Atlantic. Well, Atlantic City's always been an armpit of, of you know, of a city to, for a long time. But I remember the pawn shops outside and they had big signs that said, we buy wedding rings. Oh. You want to talk about telling a story in four words, right? I mean, just that you, you know what happens there. Somebody does it. They either borrow money or they end up losing their rent check. They, you know, they, they gambled more than they could afford to lose. And now they're desperate and now they need to win it back. And now they're going to start hawking their watch, their wedding ring, you know, whatever they've got in order to try to win back their money. And I, I do believe that, unfortunately, um, people don't necessarily have good judgment on this. I don't think a, a blanket ban on gambling is necessarily the right choice. I think it's, you know, akin to prohibition. I, I get it. But I kind of feel like we're a little too cavalier about the potential costs of gambling in this country. And I think what we're seeing with Calvin Ridley is an example of what happens when gambling becomes utterly acceptable and wholeheartedly embraced for everybody. But you tell small groups of people, oh, no, you, you can't do that, even though everybody else can. Yeah, I mean, once the Supreme Court made its decision, it's it's fine that it's legal and these books pop up. And I, I don't know if you can stop them from advertising on sporting events, but I think the league could have taken a more cautious approach to this. I think that would have been the better balance here. You did mention March Madness. I said I never uh, wagered on a, a sporting event, I guess. What you uh, meant, Greg, is you'd never won. <laughs> Which is almost as good. Basically, you're kicking in a couple bucks to to the secretary who picks them based on the mascot. Okay. <laughs> yes, or team colors, exactly. Well, a bear can beat a Bruin, so. <laughs> That's exactly how that works. So frustrating. Calvin Ridley, you've got some free time. And so you're going to need to spend that time in smart ways now. And part of that is getting excellent rest, both physically and mentally. And so the products from MyPillow can definitely help you and everybody else. I mean, and on top of all that, they're offering great discounts right now. And who doesn't love a great deal? Right now, use the web address mypillow.com slash martini to access every one of their many good deals. Uh, right now, they're offering, for example, my pillows as low as $19.98, the my slippers at 50% off, the my pillow towel sets at their lowest price ever at just $39.99, 60% off any Giza Dream Sheets with prices as low as $39.99. And when you use the promo code Martini, they'll throw in Mike Lindell's book. You're going to want to get your hands on my slippers. And I don't mean the slippers that are on my feet right now. I mean the brand my slippers with their exclusive four-tier cushioning system, which features the MyPillow patented fill, the memory foam, the impact gel, and the indoor-outdoor sole. I've talked many times how much I love the My Slippers. They're super comfortable. I now love walking around the house in those slippers. But when we were in Florida, we also visited with some family when we went to Disney. And uh, Mrs. Columbus's cousin, who listens to the podcast, says, uh, you know, I bought the slippers. Uh, and uh, they're absolutely comfortable. I love those things. And so it's not just me. If you get the My Slippers, you are going to love them. You will find all these offers and more at mypillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104. Right now, every order using the promo code martini will receive Mike Lindell's new book, What Are the Odds? From Crack Addict to CEO for free. MyPillow.com slash martini or call. 800-874-0104. Get direct access to all the deals at MyPillow.com slash martini.
All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. And this is courtesy of a poll from Quinnipiac. Now, this time we're not talking about Biden's approval or the generic ballot or any uh, Senate or House races that are shaping up. The question was, if the Russians were to invade the United States, would you stay and fight or would you run for the border? It's basically based on how the Ukrainians have decided, at least most of the men, uh, to stay and fight. Overall, 55% of respondents said that they would stay and fight, while 38% said that they would flee. But when broken down by party affiliation, both Republicans and independents said they would stay to fight by margins of 68 to 25 among Republicans and 57 to 36 percent among independents. Democrats, however, were more likely to say they would flee, 52 percent saying they would leave the country, while 40 percent said they would stay and fight. So, Jim, obviously a hypothetical. You never really know what you're going to do until you're presented with the actual situation. I think we're all uh, admiring of uh, the Ukrainians, underdogs as they are, staying and fighting with everything they've got. What do you make of the big disparity here, though? Well, I was kind of struck by the question with the idea of listing fleeing as an option, because in a scenario in which the United States is getting invaded, which everyone would agree, you know, very far fetched, not utterly unthinkable, but uh, there aren't a lot of countries that be capable of it. it. You know, they'd have to get their forces here. Um, you know, we can all think of Red Dawn or the you know less impressive uh, remake with Thor in which somehow North Korea mustered the, <laughs> the, the capacity to invade the United States. But in that scenario, where are you going to run to? Under what scenario? Where do you envision a world in which the United States is under invade, is being invaded by some hostile force, but Canada is fine? Um, although we discussed this a little bit earlier, and uh, my colleagues pointed out that uh, uh, Canada under dictator Justin Trudeau, Americans may not want to flee there. Right. Um, you know, but like is, is Australia, I mean, theoretically, there are corners of the world, but any threat bad enough, menacing enough to invade the United States probably is going to get to any other corner of the world. So your option of fleet strikes me as what would the point of that be? Because that just means you're going to fight them somewhere else. Whatever whatever threat is big enough and bad enough to threaten the United States here on our own streets. Well, by God, that's, you know, uh, might as well fight them here. I, I don't want to have any illusions. I don't like to, you know, I, I, I have no pretense of pretending that god forbid in that red dawn scenario you'd see me turn into rambo or something like that i hope that in the moment of crisis i will run to the danger and seek to protect others instead of running from the danger but i'm self-aware enough to realize that it's not a guarantee and everybody thinks they're that way and then of course you actually get tested by it having said that it is intriguing that so many democrats and so many young people said no i would not and i kind of want to ask those people okay I, I guess at the heart of this do you believe america is worth fighting for and if you do not believe America is worth fighting for, what is, right? I mean, you know, you said, ah, oh, this country is not as great as we think we are and all kind of stuff. All right, you know, okay. But like, if the US is invaded, your family is threatened, your neighbors are threatened, your friends, your community, like, I'm, I'm kind of left scratching my head. It's like, if what if you don't want to die for, if you don't want to fight and, and risk your life for a abstract principle, what are you willing to risk your life for? And the answer is nothing. Well, I was at Braveheart where they says, you know, every man dies, not every man lives. Um, you know, you're kind of left wondering, scratching your head. Um, you know, again, it's a hypothetical question. Maybe it's tough for people to get their heads around this concept. But I do kind of wonder if there's a reflection there that certain demographics look at America, can only see the negatives, can only see all the ways in which we fall short of our values, all of our flaws, and do not see anything worth fighting for, and who may actually 
a certain amount of their spiritual malaise may stem from an inability to find things in life that they believe are good and worth fighting for and worth defending, even at risk to themselves. Very well said. Very well said. Because, yeah, back in the 1980s, it was high school kids that uh, really were at the forefront. You know, we should learn the term Wolverines. If you cheer for the University of Michigan, you're already there. Uh, and don't forget that, uh, you know, if you want to launch the preemptive strike, uh, a young high school kid that looks a lot like Matthew Broderick uh, could be uh, coming in handy at that point. So I realize this is a, a more serious issue, but uh, uh, those kids had no problem. And I think back then there was just a general, uh, almost universal mentality of uh, America was certainly a place worth defending, but uh, seems to be a little more divided now. Yeah, it is extraordinarily unlikely that the U.S. will ever see a situation akin to what Ukraine is experiencing right now of Russian or Chinese or some other countries' tanks advancing up and going through our streets. That having been said, it is not unthinkable that this current conflict between Russia and Ukraine could suck us in in some ways. And the idea of you know cyber attacks or sabotage or Russian, you know, pro-Russian terrorist or extremist group. Like, there's a possibility that this spill over into our lives in, in a way we have not foreseen. So, you know, I just want to freak everybody out on a Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> on that lighthearted note, Jim, have a great yes, Tuesday. Yeah. I'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Also, tell your friends about us. We'd love to have them listening as well. Thank you so much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. They're a big help to us. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday, and please join us on Wednesday for the next... Three Martini Lunch. Missouri U.S. Senate candidate Eric Greitens joins me to explain why he believes the fate of our country is at stake in this year's midterm elections. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, Greitens also explains why the world sees President Biden as weak, why he believes Democrats are trying to bring the country down, and he takes us inside the ugly tactics by Democrats that forced him from the governor's office. Follow the Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.